You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Good morning, Highland. My name is Jordan Greer, and I have the absolute privilege and honor um, to open up God's Word with you this morning on this awesome graduation weekend. Can we give one more round of applause for all of our graduates? So if you are a guest with us this morning, or you uh, maybe are here visiting for, um, for one of the, maybe you have a graduate that you're celebrating, you may have heard about Highland as the church with the preacher that has really big biceps. And if you would look at the screens to my left and to my right, that is obviously not me. So we are in the middle of something called the Timothy Project here at Highland, where John Durham, our pastor, who does in fact have very large arms, allows young men in the church to prepare a sermon and deliver a sermon. And so that is where we are today. So if it's bad, I'm sorry, but that is where we are. So my name is Jordan Greer, and I actually serve on staff here at Highland. I'm the director of music, which sounds really fancy, but um, I love I love what I do here. I get to work under John and Jared, and it's such a joy to be with this church family every week. On Wednesday nights, I get to serve with our student ministry, and I lead worship for them, and that is quickly becoming one of my favorite parts of my week, um, and we're actually going to get to honor them in a little bit later. Also, uh, as of I guess 24 hours ago, I am a graduate from the greatest university in the world, Baylor University. So I graduated, thank you. I graduated yesterday with a Bachelor of Arts in Religion uh, and a business minor. And let me tell you, it was the four greatest years of my life. But Baylor is not done with me yet. I am on my way to Baylor's Truett Seminary starting in August. And I'm going to be going in pursuit of a Master's of Divinity. And who knows after that, but I am a proud Baylor Bear and I am happy to be here with you this morning. So within our Timothy Project Um, series that we're doing. We are within a greater series that we are calling Foundations. And we are looking at what are the foundational truths, doctrines, and practices that we build our faith upon. And so three weeks ago, uh, Jeremy Daniel, our grow pastor here at Highland, uh, delivered an awesome sermon on repentance and what healthy, godly repentance looks like and what that leads to. Two weeks ago, John, our pastor, preached a sermon on worship and why we sing the foundation of singing. And then last week, perhaps my personal favorite, a young man named Rasmus, who's from Denmark, came and preached a stellar sermon on the resurrection of Jesus and what evidence, why we can have confidence in the resurrection and the hope that that gives us today as 21st century believers. And so if you missed any of those, or maybe you were here and you want to listen to them again, uh, all of those are available on our website to watch back, or if you just want to listen and you don't want to look at people talk, they're also wherever you listen to your podcasts, so Spotify or iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. But this morning is going to be no different. We are going to look at another foundation of the Christian faith. And this morning, we're going to look at the foundation of the in-between. And if you will, I, I, could, have, I could, have, could have called this message a lot of different things, but, but, but the gist of the message is what is the purpose of the Christian life in between the moment of our salvation and the moment that we come into communion with God 
and the moment that we just got done singing about when we stand before him at the gates of heaven in eternity. What is our life meant to be in between those two moments? And so with that, we are going to be in Romans 6. And so I would encourage you to open up your copy of God's word or scroll to it on an iPad or iPhone or Android. I'm sorry. And we will go from there in Romans chapter 6. And if you don't have any other way, they will be on the screen behind me. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans in the New Testament. Romans chapter 6. The pages have stopped turning, which means I think we're all there. We're going to start in verse 15. Paul says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, which is either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have now become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are very few scriptures in the Bible that I think so perfectly sum up the gospel is Romans 6, 22 and 23. And so Paul offers us in Romans 6 an answer to our question of what are we to do in between. If you look at Romans 6, 22, we'll kind of see this tri, tri-fold um, answer that Paul gives of, of what the Christian life is really about. He says, but now that you have been set free from sin, now that you've been saved... The fruit you get leads to sanctification, and the end is justification in eternity. So the three big church words for that are one, justification, two, sanctification, three, glorification. And so what's interesting about justification is that it's kind of a a, a pass-fail, a pass-fail matter. You are either justified or you're not. But would you consider this definition of sanctification with me? Sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. And so Romans 6, what Paul is telling the church in Rome, and what I think the Spirit is telling us today, is that this is a message that is applicable to every age and every stage of life. Whether you are the 10-year-old in the room, or the college graduate, or the single mom, or the hero of the faith, who has grandbabies running around. The message of sanctification is for all of us in this house this morning because the process of becoming more like Christ is never complete until we stand in heaven with God. And so there is always more that we can improve on in our life. 
So let's look together back at Romans 6, 5, or 15, and we will work through this passage together. So what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So we pick up in Paul's teaching to a church in Rome who was divided. There were Gentile Christians there and Jewish Christians, and they had some disagreements about what it meant to live in the freedom that Christ offers. So Paul had preached this gospel of grace, which means that the, the Christians were free from the Jewish law. There were 600 plus commands that the Jews had to follow. And Paul comes in and starts preaching this gospel of grace. And the Romans, as oftentimes we do in America, will say, hey, well now we're free from the law, so it doesn't really matter what we do. Grace has saved us, and so we're going to get to heaven one day so we can just play survival mode where we are right now until we get to heaven. So it doesn't matter how we live. It doesn't matter what we do. And Paul says, by no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. Paul tells us right from the get-go, we are slaves of something or someone. There's no such thing as a truly free man, is what Paul tells us here in Romans. You are either a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Verse 17, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Can I say to you this morning that if you miss everything else that I say this morning, would you not miss what Paul says in verse 18? That you have been set free from sin and have now become slaves of righteousness. The greatest dichotomy of the Christian faith is that we are irrevocably freed from the power of sin, yet perfectly enslaved to the righteousness of God in Christ. See, when, when, when Jesus came and died on the cross, he not only, he not only freed us from sin, because when, we when we were in bondage to sin, we did not have a choice. We were in handcuffs to sin, and we had no choice to do good. Paul says later that, 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 that there, there's no good thing that I can do because I'm in bondage to sin. And so Jesus not only broke those chains, but he now re-enslaved us, if you will, to righteousness. Now, slavery gets kind of a weird connotation because of where we are in America, but, but let's all think about slavery as just what has authority over your life. We used to be under the authority of sin and death, and now we're under the authority of the righteousness of God. The greatest dichotomy of the Christian faith is that we are irrevocably freed from the power of sin, yet perfectly enslaved to the righteousness of God in Christ. And so Paul, as any good Baptist preacher, which I think Paul was, would say, there are three points that slavery to sin leads to, and there are three things that slavery to righteousness look, uh, points to. And so let's look together at our scripture, and let's look at the three things that slavery to sin leads to. The first thing that slavery to sin leads to, would you consider with me, 
lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Look with me at verse 19. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. Somebody told it to me like this one time. Sin is kind of like salt water. When we're really thirsty and we want something to satisfy us and all we have is salt water, we're tempted to drink it, but what does it do? It only leaves us more thirsty. You see, sin was never supposed to satisfy us, church. When God created us, only he is our satisfaction. And so when we sin, it's never good enough. You always have to sin just a little bit more. Consider if you ever tell a lie. You tell one lie, and next thing you know, you have to tell 43 more lies to cover that first lie. Because sin always leads to more sin. Or this might get a little deep, but what about sexual purity? If you go a little too far, pretty soon that's not good enough, and you have to go just a little bit more. Why? Because lawlessness always leads to more lawlessness. Because sin will never satisfy us. And so slavery to sin just leads to lawlessness that leads to lawlessness that leads to lawlessness. Let's look at the second thing that Paul identifies that slavery to sin leads to. Slavery to sin leads to shame. Look at verse 21 with me. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? I would contend with you this morning that shame is one of the major tools that the devil uses to put Christians out of commission. I can't imagine that I'm the only one to experience this, but when we feel shame about something, there's like there's a dark cloud over our heads. And we might be too ashamed to go to church. We might be too ashamed to pray, to read our Bible. Why? Because shame shame is a crippling thing the devil uses to put us out of commission. Slavery to sin leads to shame that puts us out of commission to live the life that Christ wants us to live. The third thing that slavery to sin leads to, and the ultimate thing that slavery to sin leads to, is death. Paul says this three times in verse 16, 21, and 23, but let's look at verse 21 together. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed for the end of those things is death? And I would say that this death could be interpreted in two different ways. Slavery to sin leads to eternal death. If if, if we die without the redeeming blood of Jesus, the scripture is pretty clear that there is going to be eternal separation from God. That's weighty and that kind of makes my knees buckle, but that is what the scripture teaches, that slavery to sin ultimately leads to eternal death. But I don't think that it starts at the moment that we die. Slavery to sin leads to death now. There's death in your peace, death in your joy, maybe death in your relationships. Sin always leads to death. It's destructive and no good thing can come from sin. It might feel good in the moment, but sin, church, always leads to death. But praise God that Jesus not only paid the penalty for our sin, but he removed the power of sin over our lives. Because of the work on the cross, we are no longer bound to the slavery that once captivated us. 
Sin has no power over us because of the blood of Jesus. And we are now slaves to righteousness. Christ not only freed us from the slavery to sin, but he then enslaved us to righteousness. So let's now look at Paul's three things that he identifies that slavery to righteousness leads to. The first I would say to you this morning is that slavery to righteousness leads to obedience from the heart. Would you look at verse 17 with me? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. So I'm not married, um, but this is thing that I have seen in my mom and dad who are right here. Hi, mom. Um, and so this is that I've seen. I've also seen this in friendships and maybe you've seen this in your relationships, but have you ever had a friend clearly want something, but they don't want to tell you what they want, but they make it really obvious that they want something and they kind of, they, 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 they kind of drop subtle hints that they want something and you say, Hey, like, do you need something? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Well, you clearly want something because you know, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And then we hear this phrase that we've heard all too often. If I tell you what I want, it isn't the same if you do it. Have you ever heard that before? If I tell you what I want, then it's not the same. I want you to do it because I somehow want you to read my mind and know what I want. I know what I want. If, if I tell you what I want, it's not the same. And so maybe it's not quite the same, but I think that maybe Paul's getting at that, that when we are slaves to righteousness, we do the things that please the Lord out of a love and an overflow of love to Christ. We do things that please the Lord because we love him, not because of a list of 600 plus rules. We do things out of the obedience of our heart because we love and we know Christ. Slavery to righteousness leads to obedience that comes from an overflow of love in our heart. The next thing that Paul identifies that slavery to righteousness leads to in verse 19 and 22 is sanctification. Or if you have the NIV, it might say holiness. So we've already identified that sanctification is the ongoing process of becoming more like Christ. So what we could say is that when we become slaves to righteousness, we now get to be led towards becoming more like Christ on a daily basis. Look at verse 19 with me. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, which leads to sanctification. And so if sanctification is becoming more like Christ, that means we get to experience the life of Christ that he lived. So not only will sanctification lead to the checking of our sin and our sin life will begin to be in check, but because of sanctification, we now get to experience things like peace. We now get to experience things like love. We now get to experience the patience that Christ lived with, the righteousness that Christ lived with. And I don't know about you, but this is the thing that I think that I miss most in my life. I so often think of the Christian life as a big list of do's and don'ts. And while Jesus came to save us from our sin, he also came to give us free gifts, which are patience and love and joy and kindness 
And we can live in that. And that is the sanctification that being a slave to righteousness will lead to. And then ultimately, slavery to righteousness leads to eternal life. Would you look with me in verse 22 and 23? But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so just like death came in a twofold manner, I would say to you this morning that eternal life comes in a twofold manner. The saving blood of Jesus not only buys our freedom for all of eternity, and we get to spend eternity in communion with God, just like we sang about, forever and ever and ever praising his name. But let us not miss that eternal life does not start the moment that we die. Eternal life starts the moment that we become alive in Christ. And I think that so often we play this game of survival. The world's so bad. There's so much, there's so much evil in the world. And we just view this as one big survival video game. We got to make it to the end and then we get eternal life. And Jesus says, no, I want you to have eternal life now. I want you to have peace now. I want you to have love now. I want there to be life in your friendships. I want there to be life in your marriage. And so when we become slaves of righteousness, we get eternal life, not only for forever, but right now. Church, why would we trust the God of eternity to hold our forever, but not trust him enough to hold our tomorrow? How often do we do that? How often do we say, yes, I know that I'm saved and I'm going to spend forever, but I don't, know about, I don't know about my job interview tomorrow. I'm feeling a lot of anxiety about it. Or I'm feeling a lot, of, a lot of fear right now. God, I don't know if you can handle my big questions. I don't know if you can handle my big questions about the brokenness of this world. We have no problem trusting God with eternity. We have so much trouble trusting him with right now. And Paul says, when you're a slave to righteousness, you get eternal life right now. Right now. So we're going to wrap this up. Can I offer you a sermon in a slide? If you miss everything else I said this morning, there are eight words that I think sum up the gospel and I think sum up what we are to do with the in-between. We were once slaves to sin and Jesus' life, death, and resurrection has now made us slaves of righteousness. We were slaves to sin that led to lawlessness, that just led to more lawlessness, that led to more lawlessness. But now we are obedient from the heart. And we are obedient because we love God and want to please him out of an overflow of that love. We were slaves to sin who were shadowed with shame. And that shame put us out of commission for all good things. 
But now we're, now we're slaves to righteousness and we get to be sanctified and we get to become more like Christ. And we get to live in Christ. And we were slaves to sin. Music fans on a highway to hell. And now we're on a stairway to heaven. That is the gospel. We were enslaved to sin with no trajectory but death and shame, bound with no choice. See, that's the interesting thing about being bound to sin. We had no choice to do good. So when we sin as a believer, it's not because we have to sin, it's because we're choosing to sin. See, Christ has, Christ has undone our shackles. He had the key and he unlocked it on the cross. And if you are justified in his blood, those shackles aren't locked. But how often, church, do we run back to the shackles and put them on? And Jesus says, they're not locked. Take them off. So why do we do this? We know this. I would venture to say that 90% of you, this is not new information. So why do we do this? And I think that the reason is that in the moment of sin, we think and we believe that what this world has to offer is better than what God has to offer. We somehow believe that the left side of slavery to sin is better than the right side of righteousness. And I think the reason is that we haven't necessarily fully experienced what it means to live on the right side of righteousness. Because we put our shackles on and we say, this is where I'm comfortable. I know what this is gonna feel like. And I'm comfortable here. Jesus, I don't know about that, that patience or that peace stuff. I know where I am here and it feels good in the moment and I'm comfortable. But Jesus says, what I'm offering you is so much better. Just try me. Just try me. Try praying for peace and see what happens. I think the reason we sin and the reason we choose slavery to sin is because we don't know how great slavery to righteousness is. So may we be a church that is practicing slavery to righteousness so that we may trust God more and that we will believe that Jesus is better. So let's make this super pragmatic and then we'll close. These aren't going to be on the screen behind me, but I have three, once again, things that I think that we can do this week that will help us lead a life of being sanctified in the Spirit and lead a life that makes our in-between worth living. Number one, we have to get to know God. You've heard that your whole life, but just like any relationship, there has to be communication there has to be listening. There has to be patience. Get to know God. Read his word. That's not something they just tell you in high school or Sunday school. Read this. He's in here. Try him. 
But the more we know him, the more we're going to trust him. Just like the more you know your spouse, the more you trust them. It's the same way with God. The more we experience him, the more we're going to trust him. The next thing I would offer you is make habits. Anything in life takes effort. We can't just believe more that that, that slavery to righteousness is good. We have to try it and experience it and be habitual with that. So maybe for you, the takeaway from this morning is every morning at 6 a.m., I'm gonna wake up and read a psalm with my family. Or maybe every night before me and my wife go to bed, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna pray together. Maybe at the dinner table, me and my family are going to name three things each of the ways that we saw the Lord's faithfulness that day. What habits can you put into your life to help us lead to a life of sanctification? And the last thing you all get to check on this one is community. Come to church, get plugged in with a community group. Have one or two close inner circle friends who know you better than you know yourself, know your faith struggles, know your faith mountains, but we were never meant to live this Christian life alone. From the moment of creation, God created us to be community people. And so why would we think that we can do faith alone? Not only did Jesus pay the penalty for our sins, but he removed the power that it has over our life. And the greatest dichotomy of the Christian faith is that we are irrevocably freed from the power of sin, yet perfectly enslaved now to the righteousness of God in Christ. Highland, would you stand and pray with me? Father, you are the God that saved us from the power of sin. And God, forgive us when we forget that you are the only one who can satisfy us. God, we thank you for Romans 6 that paints us a beautiful picture of what life in you looks like. God, we believe, but help us in our unbelief. God, give us strength by your spirit, not by our might. Give us strength to experience you, to trust you. God, that we may know and believe and live that Jesus is better. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus who saves us from sin and binds us to righteousness that we all pray. Amen.